All right, we're in John chapter 8. And I hope I can do it justice because this, as I've been reading over and thinking about it more and more, has got to be one of the most like, important dividing lines between really understanding what it means to be a Christian and not really getting it. Between being a Christian and being any other religion. Between having victory versus just having faith. So the way I'd like to phrase it for us is this. Do we have to or do we get to? Do we have to or do we get to? So for those men that are married in this room, do you have to love your wife? Or do you get to love this woman that God has provided for you? That's a big difference, right? How about for any married women we have here? Do you have to love your husband? Or do you get to love this man? Children, do you have to obey your parents? Hope, do you have to obey your mom and your dad? Or do you get to obey these parents that God has given to you? Christians, do you have to read your Bible? Or do you get to read this book that God's given you? These thoughts. Do you have to pray as a Christian? Like if you're not praying, you're not a Christian? Or, or, or do you get to pray and talk to God now? This is the defining line between Christianity and every other world religion. Because Christianity, the way Jesus taught it, was not a religion of rules. It was a religion of relationship with God. A loving relationship. So every other religion, even including Judaism, which led up to Christ, that he gave the kind of like completion of, the, the, the twist at the end, the, the, the final chapter of, to make it all make sense. Even that without him is just, this is what you have to do to be a good person. And this is what you have to do to make God happy with you. In, in some ways, uh, the Catholic approach to Christianity uh, gives us sort of like, what must I do? And so then you're like, well, I have to. If I don't go to Mass, if I don't have these certain sacraments, well, then God won't be pleased with me. We take the get to and turn it into a have to. Think about all the like, very ancient religions, like worshiping the sun, worshiping the rain, right? They felt if they did not pray and the rain didn't come and they didn't have crops, they wouldn't eat, they would starve. Like, you have to. And if they did something wrong to offend the gods, then they'd suffer the gods' wrath. So you have to do the right thing. And if you do the wrong thing, you're paying the penalty. You're paying the consequences. So that whole, those whole early religions were all about how am I supposed to live? What do I have to do? Please tell me so that things can turn out well for me. Jesus enters and says, you humans here have been making a lot of rules for yourselves that you're not even able to keep. And even the laws from God, instead of that just showing you how perfect he is, it's just turned you into a bunch of rule followers instead of people in relationship with the God who created you and loves you and wants to lead you. So even take the good things that are gifts from God and we turn them into laws. And so the saddest thing of it all, the, the, like bringing all these thoughts together, is people do this to Jesus all the time. They turn Jesus into another law. 
they take his words and his commands, and instead of seeing them as like loving insight into the way things are, like if, if we were with him in this way, it would be well, it would go well with our soul, go well with our life, we'd be good with God. Instead of like, we have to do those things. We get to do the things that he shows us will actually give us life. We get to know the things that are going to harm us. We get insight. We get wisdom. And this is the word truth. In the New Testament, this is the word truth. The word truth is aletheia, and it means disclosure or revealing or uncovering. All right? So it's like revelation sort of thing, but it's truth. When we think of, do you know the truth? We think of, well, do you know like doctrine? Do you know the truth? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Like truth, we think of it like law statements. But really what truth is, is a revealing of the way things are. The way that you know that this word really means this is because it's made up of two different words. Ah, which means not, like negating. And lethea, lethe. And lethe means oblivion. It means forgetting. It means concealing. So no truth because we've forgotten it. And no truth because it's been obscured. No truth because there's no reality that we can see. No truth because it's being concealed by people who don't want us to know the truth. This happens in our lives. We do this to ourselves. Like There's concealing that happens, right? This happens on dates all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> like conceal all the things that might not be as presentable and we don't talk about the parts of ourselves that are going to be causing offense or might not be what someone wants to see or hear or learn about on a first date or a second date and so those dates aren't actually true. They're partial but they're not full. So true truth is a full disclosure of the way things really are. So in a way, we've kind of like shrunk the definition of truth to just mean the facts about God. Like, do you know the truth? Do you know his facts? Can you like write out his bio? Do you know God's stats if he was an athlete? Do you know his statistics? Can you quote them? But the truth about God is made up of all those things, but it's actually everything about him that makes things clear. So there's truth in a marriage when things are fully known and embraced. There's truth in a relationship when it's full disclosure, no secrets. That's truth. So Jesus is about to say to us in the passage we're going to read, if you're really my disciples, if you're really my apprentices, if you're really following me, then you will abide in my words. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So we want freedom, but how do we abide in Jesus' words as if we like listed them all off on a piece of paper? Okay, this is what I have to do. Have to. We instantly take the Jesus of the get-to and turn him into a have-to. So that's like the actual question of the day. How do we abide in Jesus' words without turning him into another law, without turning it into another system of just obedience without relationship? So that's where we are in John chapter 8, verse 12. And I want us to read it together, we'll think about it together, and then we're going to expand on it for the whole passage that comes after. We'll read verse 31 and 32 together. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
This is very interesting, and you'll see later. This is a certain group of people he's talking to, Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you abide in my word, abide is, not, is way more than just learn, right? It isn't just learn what I've said. It's like live in it. Live in it. Abide in it. Continue like resting in it. And when we approach Jesus and say, well, we have to, you know, be patient. We're supposed to be patient. You know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, that sort of thing. This is what we live by. If that becomes a have to, then we find ourselves in arguments like biting our tongue. Like, oh, I can't say that thing. I'm not supposed to say that thing. I've got to be slow to speak. Right? We're imposing upon ourselves the have to. We have to be patient. And that's true. But if you think about it, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So when we engage God and He dwells in us, we get to experience patience because it's been given to us. So we get to discover patience. But patience is a thing you have to live in. you got to like live it experimentally. Right? Same thing with all these character traits of Christ. They're not like book learning kind of things. Be patient. Okay, what does that mean with your students at school? It means like a very different thing than even the administration at your school. Or the parents at your school. Those are all different types of patience. And some will stress you more than others. You have to like live in this patience, abide in it. Be like, I'm, I'm swimming in patience for a while. And I'm learning what I learn about. I'm learning the parts of me that are impatient and impulsive or negative or critical or whatever the opposites of that are. But I'm never going to become less critical by saying, don't be critical, don't be critical, don't be critical, don't be critical. Parents are going to say that thing again about that kid that they said, like, we've already talked about this. Like, that doesn't get us to something else. We feel like, I want to rest. I want to swim. I want to abide in patience. And then figure out, what could it mean in this? conversation. What could it mean in this situation? So abiding is not just learning. It's like loving and immersing yourself in something. So change the word word to like all the goodness of Christ. <laughs> like abide in all the good things that he has and they will take care of the, or the requirements of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So we find when we're abiding in Christ, we're living in things. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? So we're going to just abide in peace. How do we abide in peace when the news articles we read are about war and danger? How do we abide in peace when the people we're talking to on the other end of the phone are you know, in an argument with us and those phone conversations are fights? They're not, hey, I love you. They're bitter. How do we abide in it? Well, that, that is what living out the faith is all about. It's really easy to say, go and have peace. But until you like swim in peace for a while, until you abide in it, you haven't experimented yet to know what peace is going to look like for you. And your personality comes into play here. If you're a very like passive person, a very quiet, reserved, introverted sort of person, you know, when you find yourself swimming in peace and abiding in it, you may find actually that God says you need to speak up in this to make peace because you've actually been biting your tongue too much and the situation is getting worse. So we're trying to live in peace, but that doesn't just mean zip the lip. That means help to foster peace. And so sometimes to make peace, you need to pull someone aside and be like, you shouldn't have said that thing that way. And then after that, you could be in a place of peace. But you can't until that thing's been said, until a change has been made. So peace is this very interactive kind of thing. 
Jesus said, go in peace, but I wouldn't know what that would mean for you and for you and for me in the particular situation. So therefore, we're seeing truth is something that you live in. Truth is not just doctrine. That's like the core of it. It's actually getting to see the way things really are. You may encounter someone who's going through a certain situation, and in your mind, you're like, oh, I know the answer to this one, right? You know the truth. And so you can rattle off a Bible verse. Or so I had a friend that went through a similar thing, and this is what you should do. Oh, we're easy to give advice. Is it the right advice? Maybe it's the exact wrong advice. But it might have been the right advice for that previous situation that you experienced. That's why I have to live and abide in truth. Because we need to see someone for who they are and the situation they are and then apply things that are like these massive principles of God like peace to a specific time and a specific place and a specific person. So Jesus is saying, do not just learn my words. Like, experimentally live inside these things that I'm showing you. And that's what it means to follow. It doesn't mean to attend. Jesus didn't say, attend my synagogue teachings. He's like, you're going to walk the same road I walked. So our lives should look like his. Our lives should look like the disciples. And too often, it doesn't. And this is where kind of the rubber meets the road. Jesus says this to the Jews who believed in him. Right? Jesus says this to the Jews who believed in him. We're about to continue on. And he says, your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil. And by the end of the conversation, they're trying to stone him. The same people who believed in him were not abiding in him. It's a different sort of thing. You can go to church your entire life and learn all about God and never enter into actual salvation. We can know all the right answers about the truth, but not actually be saved. Like, what a shame, what a crime if we let church be that for ourselves. And I think American modern church, there are many that go to church that think that they're Christians because they just believe that Jesus was right about stuff, but haven't followed him to say, I want to live in your principles and I want you to live in me. And we're going to experimentally figure out how to do this. I'm going to be like you. I'm going to walk like you. I'm going to follow you. That's salvation. Not just knowing who Jesus is or what he said and liking it or even thinking he made great points. There's another level. So it's fascinating to me that the first verse we read says he's talking to people who believe in him. And the next verse is if you follow me, you're going to know the truth and be set free. And then immediately after, he's like, your dad's the devil. You don't know me. And they try to kill him. Like, so let's be careful that we're not putting our trust in the truth as we have learned it and thinking that that's going to get us into heaven. It's not people who know truth who get into heaven. It's people who absorb it, who abide in it, who participate in it, who have it working on them, and you're in it. That word abide, we're going to get back to it, right? That's John 15, abiding the vine and the branches and bearing fruit and all that. But in this case, Jesus doesn't expand on it at all, abiding. He just mentions it, and he goes right into the difference between people who are trying to do the right thing because it's in their heart, because they have God in their heart, and people who are sinful from the core. And so he's talking about whether you, are people born good, are people born bad, are we naturally good, are we naturally bad? He goes there with it because of his audience. So let's go ahead and read from verse 31 all the way on to the end of John chapter 8. There's three different sections. You see how they fit together. And then we'll come back and think some more about abiding and, and freedom. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my followers, disciples, apprentices. And you will know the truth, like things will be clear to you, you'll get it. And that clarity, that truth, that revealing, the truth will set you free. 
it will give you freedom. So they answered him, well, we're offsprings of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you would say you will become free? This is what the American church thinks right now. This is what we think. I don't actually need to be set free. Ellen, what do you need to be set free from? Got a great house and a wonderful, if a little bit wild, husband and awesome church family. And like, I don't need to be set free. They're saying what we say, and that's scary because of what Jesus says to them after that. If we come to him and say, we don't actually need to be set free, then maybe everything Jesus is about to say is to us. We have to recognize what this freedom is. It's not just understanding. It's another level of identity and core and faith, actual salvation, not just religion. So I hope that this kind of might rattle some of us. And as we're talking to others, don't be afraid to say, like, is your faith more than a religion? Or is your, do you abide in God's word? Or have you learned? Like, be, don't be afraid to ask those questions because what a shame it would be for us or any who live their lives going to church to not actually get into heaven. That would be just such a crushing loss and shame if we thought it was just about doing the right thing. You have to do the right thing. Going to church is it. Reading the Bible is praying. I did all these things. Got to learn the Bible. Okay, yeah, I know. But what if it's not that? What if those aren't the people that get to heaven? What if it's a different thing? And he says it's a different thing. So we have to make sure we know what that means for us so that we can have security in our soul and for forever. So here we go. How would you say we would become free? These Jews who believed in him said, picking up verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So if any of us here, theoretically, have ever committed a sin, and it's not probable, we're church people, we're Christians, we don't commit sins, but just in the off chance that any of us had, that thing that we did, that behavior, that thought, that attitude, that speech is trying to enslave us. It's an active force. So like, okay, well, how effective was it? I don't know. How enslaved are we? I don't know, right? It's this ambiguous, invisible thing, but it's happening. Everyone who slaves is being enslaved by sin. You're like falling under this control of this thing, this power. Now he just talks about slaves for a second. He steps back and he's like, well, we know that a slave doesn't remain in a house forever. A servant doesn't live in the house of the master forever. But the son remains forever. Have to or get to? Slave or son? Law or freedom? Have to, slave, get to, son. All right, verse 36. So if the son, meaning the son of man, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, if the son sets you free from sin, that control, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom. No more have to. Get to now. Get to. He says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. What was the other way that I saw that translated this week? Um, My word takes no ground inside your hearts. My word gets no advantage in you, finds no course or pathway in you, like that sort of thing. Like God's, Jesus' word is supposed to get in and start like working, not just be taken and held on to. It meant to be lived in. It's an abiding thing. It's like the, the sap from the vine to the branch. It's his words had no purchase in their hearts. 
All right, verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father, Jesus said, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did, living by faith, right? Walking by faith. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And this is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. And they said to him, we weren't born out of sexual immorality. We have only one father, even God. And we're not illegitimate children, they're saying. Jesus said to them, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So why do you not understand what I say? Why can you not understand what I say? Think of how frustrating that would be for Jesus. Why can you not understand what I'm trying to say? You should know it all. You're religious people. You've grown up with Abraham. You've got Moses. You've got the law. You're here. We're discussing it with me, a rabbi. Like, why don't you get it then? It's because you have a law. You do not have a relationship with God. You have the have-tos, and you're doing your best, but it isn't going to work. He said, I'm here with the get-to. Get to connect to God. Get to be set free. Get to step away from sin. Not to have to not sin. It's a different relationship. It's a heart sort of thing. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Satan's the accuser, right? The manipulator, the liar, opposite of truth. Covering, hiding, oblivion, those sorts of things. Jesus is revealing truth, clarity, open eyes. There was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So which one of you will convict me of sin? This is one of those statements Jesus makes that other religions' founders do not. Muhammad does not say, which one of you could find if I've ever sinned and speak to a crowd of his peers? He never claimed that. Buddha never said, which one of you could prove me without sin? He never said it. No other world religion. Abraham, Moses, the founders of the Jewish religion, which led up to the Messiah. Like, no one claimed to be sinless. Jesus says it right there. says it so many times. So which one of you can find any sin in me ever? Go ahead and speak up. An entire crowd of his peers and people can't. They have nothing to say. He's the sinless son of God. Verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Remember, he's saying this to the Jews who believed in him. <laughs> These are the people that believed. These are the good church folk. And he's saying, you're not of God. So what's the category then if it's not doing all these things that we're supposed to? The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? So they're casting aspersions on his genealogy. And that you have a demon. He's demon-possessed. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did all the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, Well, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's the Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. 
But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego me, that statement, God's name, he takes it. I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Like, this is the, the context that we're in here. And I wish we had time. I'll encourage you to go back and read through Romans 5 and 6. Paul lays out the exact same argument to the, to the Roman Christians of his day that Jesus lays out to the Jewish followers in his, um, in his conversation right here. Um, it's not enough to just know what's right. And it's not enough to really try hard to do what's right. Those things will not end up with a person good enough for God and good enough for glory. There's a book. I actually brought it because I wanted to hold it up. I'm happy to give it out if anybody wants it. It's by Andy Stanley, and it's called uh, Since Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough? It is awesome. It's a great thing to give to someone who's interested in what faith is about. It talks about this dividing line. And I think when we talk about people in general, most people feel like, okay, people are mostly good. And I feel like... Most people aren't axe murderers, I'll grant you that, but just because someone has a desire to want to like, have a good life or do good things, does that mean that they're actually able to follow through on it? Because I know there's a lot of things that I would want to do that I can't follow through on, so the desire to be good doesn't actually make you good. I can put a lot of effort into it, and for anyone who has or is struggling with addiction, you know that that effort put out does not guarantee results. It could be a lot of effort with no results. So, okay, so good, there are people that want it, that doesn't make it happen. There are people giving everything they've got to be, do the right thing that we have to do, but that doesn't work on its own. And even there are some times we have like partial success. Like, okay, we made it part of the way, or in one area of our lives, we're good, but then there's still like all these host of things that are still falling apart. It's only going to be Christ. It's only going to be his words and his truth that actually enable us to go from lost to found, from have to to get to. And this is the crux of the gospel. And this is something that I think is lost in some cases. We're talking about believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Because Jesus talked to a bunch of people who believed in him and he said, you're going to hell. Like, well, what does the believe mean? And if we're abiding in his words, does that mean I better make sure I know what I'm supposed to do? Or does it mean these are like the keys to success? This is the way the world really works. So we think about ourselves, we think about like sexuality, we think about how we use money, we think about relationships with people, we think about dreams and all that. Well, what do we have to do? You're already two steps down the wrong path. All right, Jesus, what is the truth of this situation? Who am I in relationship to this person? Who am I in relationship to money? I think truth is a bigger word than we give it credit for. Because there's doctrinal truth, there's the core truth, but I think each of us have to ask God for the truth of our specific situation. How do these truths apply to what we're going through? Because then when the Holy Spirit steps in there and we find ourselves having patience, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, all of these, like, ah, we're abiding in these. I would much rather abide in an experimental attitude of self-control 
where you win some and you lose some and you try certain things and you recognize how hard it is to be self-controlled and you get tempted and you fail and you try and God helps you and you grow in that than saying, Christians, practice self-control. Because the minute it becomes a law, all we do is just fail at it. And then Satan comes in as a liar and is like, you're worthless, you can't do it. But if you say, well, it isn't about me doing it, it's about me abiding in it. I'm trying to live in self-control. I want that to like identify me to the world. And not because of myself, but because of what God is doing in me. His Holy Spirit in me. So, let's bring it together. Let's, let's put a bow on this. The way we will know that we don't just believe in Jesus, but that we're saved, is that we're going to feel free about it. It's going to feel like the biggest relief you've ever experienced. And if that's not how you feel when you participate in your faith, then you might be turning Jesus into another law and just trying to do the good things that he told you as opposed to the good things that Moses told you. And that will not get you to heaven. When your faith feels free and you feel free to love the people around you, you feel freedom to step away from addictions, you feel freedom to have peace. When you're feeling free in those things, then you know God has given them to you. It's not of your own works. Now we're talking free gift of salvation. So it's kind of like someone asking you, do you have to get a million dollars? Or do you get to get a million dollars? Because God wants to give us this free gift. And the have to turns it into something that we've earned or something that we're trying to buy. And it's never going to work. It's actually going to make us feel terribly guilty for it. So I would like to give us a minute here before we sing a closing song to pray and even just take a minute for reflection. Just to ask yourself if freedom is the identifier for real faith, how free do we feel? Because if we're feeling bound, if we're feeling guilty, if we're feeling ashamed, if we're feeling burdened, if we're feeling like, I've got to do this, I have to do this, I can't, we're losing, our, we're losing our way. That's not Jesus' way. His way is freedom into the good versus being bound by sin into the things that will ultimately destroy us. So let me say a word of prayer. Maybe music team, you guys can come forward. We'll, we'll close it with a song. Um, just take a minute to reflect. Jesus, I thank you for not just your truth, but I thank you for your joy. I thank you not just for answers, but I thank you for your emotion. And we thank you not just for your instructions, but also your freedom. Please set us free, each one of us, myself included. Please continue to set us free from the sin which wants to ensnare us. Help us to be free from control of sin free from control of temptation, free from the things that bind us, and even free from feeling this obligatory method of obeying you. Help us be free from religiosity. Help us be free from guilty conscience, should have done more, could have done more, if only. Help us to be free to love you and to love you today in whatever ways that you revealed and disclosed to us that we can, that we get to. Us feel free in our prayer time that we get to talk to the Father, God the Father of all creation. 
Help us feel free in our scripture reading that we get to read the words of God written on paper as if that were even possible. Help us feel free to love the people around us, these beautiful, flawed people that you've put in our lives. Help us feel free in our patience, not burdened by the lack of it. Give us freedom in our singing. Give us freedom in our worship. Give us freedom in our families, that our homes would not be legalistic places of law and bondage to rules, but that we'd be free to love one another, free to feel safe in that environment, free to care for each other, free to learn from one another, free to appreciate one another. So Jesus, please lead us into freedom. It is for freedom that we have been set free. Please do not let us turn any of your good things back into more laws but let them be life-giving. Let us love abiding in you. And may we see the truth and may it change our lives as a result. So I ask this for myself, for each of us here. Pray this over your, your Christian church here in America. Jesus, that you would really call those who are yours to more abiding and less um, memorizing, perhaps, or, or less participating or observing and more uh, engaging and immersing. Please call your people to you. May we not turn and try to stone you. Forgive us of our sins, Jesus, and let us abide in freedom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.